This morning, looking for a sermon, you're going to be disappointed. We're going to be in the Word of God, but I'm going to need a little bit of participation here. Um, because we're, we're looking in the background of 1 Timothy. When Paul writes 1 Timothy, does anybody remember where Timothy is? Right. He's in Ephesus. All right, so I wasn't a total failure. Um, <laughs> he's in Ephesus. Yeah, it's correct. He, Paul sends him there, and he's not like he's a pastor in Ephesus, and he's the pastor of the church at Ephesus uh, here. He's a representative here of Paul. He has this, uh, this apostolic kind of gifting here to see that uh, to, to, to strengthen and establish churches and to train leaders and to see these churches built up um, along the way. And Paul has this traveling team of guys and this network of people that he uses um, who are, 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 they travel in between churches. Even with Ephesus, you have guys like Erastus, who came from Corinth, you have Priscilla and Aquila. They also were in Corinth, and they'll end up in Rome later on. Um, and you have guys like Aristarchus and Gaius and Timothy and Tychicus and Titus and others. And so there, there is a there is room in churches to understand that there are groups of people, teams of people who 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 are between churches here. They're rooted in churches, but they're between churches who have a task of expanding God's kingdom in other areas. Here, there's room for that. Then there are also leaders who are much more local. And what we're going to encounter in Acts 20 are these leaders who are much more local, and it's a team of pastors at the city of Ephesus. And uh, does anybody remember who um, Luke, where most believe Luke wrote the, the book of Acts, um, is writing to at the beginning of the book of Acts? Yeah. The name of the guy? Yeah. Theophilus. Theophilus. And a lot of people believe he was a, a Roman government official who uh, uh, Luke was writing to show the certainty of what Jesus continued to do and teach after his ascension. That just because Jesus ascended into heaven... The reign at the right hand of the throne of God, that didn't mean the things that were going on were invalidated. In fact, they're more validated here because Acts is the work of the Holy Spirit, the one Jesus sent here. And so we get to last week, we got to Acts chapter a little bit at the end of 18, and then saw all of chapter 19, and we saw the city Ephesus. And do you, anybody remember what the city of Ephesus was known for? They were the third largest city in the Roman Empire. But there was something that was significant about them, and not in a good way. Who was prominent there? Artemis or Diana? Yeah, they had one of the seven wonders of the world, a temple to Artemis, uh, Diana, in the Latin there, that people come all over the world to see. And they had a temple that was about the size of a football field, literally. That was the size of the temple. Um, with, a, with a roof about 75 feet high and people would come and spend lots of money in that city. But what else were they known for? What went on in that city? Or some of the practices besides that attraction? Kind of went along with it. Okay, idolatry that they would they would sell little little statues. Some of the sailors would carry these on their ships and other people would carry them with them, you know, for good luck, prosperity. Uh, Diana was a fertility goddess. Um, anything else to remember? Acts 19. I compared it to a city in our country, but this city would have been way bigger. Salem. Salem. 
Massachusetts. What sale of Massachusetts is known for today? All right, it's 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 huge, right? Some of the stuff, the original story was, was ridiculous. What went on there wasn't bushcraft, but it's become that now. And imagine the third largest city in the U.S. being Salem, Massachusetts, the mecca for Wiccan doctrine and, and, and witchcraft, etc. Imagine that. So that's what it was known for. So you have the, the, these these two kingdoms: the kingdom of light and the kingdom of darkness. Not equal in power because our king has declared the victory and he's resurrected and ascended and they're clashing. And um, there's a lot of stuff that goes on. But what has God accomplished? What did he do? Through a bunch of people, not just Paul. A bunch of people. What did he do? He established what? A church. A, a beachhead. Um, a, 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 a center for the gospel. So Ephesus becomes a hub for quite a bit of ministry here. You had other hubs, uh, hub churches in the book of Acts. You had Jerusalem. And Jerusalem, of course, that's where it started in Acts chapter 2, but it was built around more of an affinity, Jewish people, right? And then you had uh, Antioch become a Jewian Gentile church, and that became the church that launched Paul and Barnabas out. And more, more, more of a catalyst here. And then you had some of them like Lystra and Derby that kind of worked together, collaboration hubs. And here in Ephesus, you have this other hub. Now, more a bunch is written about Ephesus. Why do you think Luke includes two chapters in the Book of Acts about Ephesus? The details what happened in nineteen, and then Paul's um, speech to the to the team of pastors there in Acts chapter twenty. Why do you think he spends so much time there? Stabbed at that? Why was Luke writing two chapters about this? Must mean something, right? Because Luke had tons of material and he had to select with the inspiration of the Holy Spirit what he was going to put down. He doesn't tell us everything. Why would Luke have two chapters on Ephesus? Okay, there was a great change there. There were changes in other cities as well, too. So there's a great change. I think that's part of it. What else? Church planting men. Okay. I think I, I think you're on something there. I think Acts isn't just to tell us the good old days. Mm -hmm. But there are some principles there that we can learn here for the furtherance of God's mission and strategies. Right? Why why Ephesus though? Why so much spent ink still on Ephesus? And the easy answer is the Holy Spirit. I know that. But why does the Holy Spirit guide a group to do this? One of the interesting things in Revelation that talks about the church in Ephesus being, you know, of high regard, except they had lost their first love. Mm -hmm. yeah. There's something that the, the church comes up again in Revelation, doesn't it? Yeah, mm -hmm. one of the seven churches. Anyone else? Mm -hmm. Is it its location? Its location in what in what particular way? Well, it's sitting right there on the Aegean Sea, yeah. right in the middle of, um, you know, between Greece and Asia Minor. Yeah. By the way, those maps in the back of your Bible, they're good for something. <laughs> right? yeah. They're not just what you looked at when you were a kid and you were bored with a sermon. Right? They're good for something. Um, yeah, it's a strategic place, I think is what you're saying there. Geographically, strategic. Yep. I know. No, there's one of the greatest cities in Asia Minor being the capital. Yeah. 
Yeah, yeah, it's 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 very significant. Balsip is a city of people who are coming in and out. It's a there'll be exposure coming in and then can take it back to their yeah. home. Yeah, there's a there's a strategy in mind. I saw it come back there. Sure. It's the thing that children started and then they don't know it. Yes. Yes, it becomes a model. It becomes a model. It becomes a sending church here. Comes a model. It's a it's a hub. So that's what I want us to see here, um, because in Acts chapter uh, nineteen we saw their story. Right, there was a church birthed out of conflict. There were some supernatural things that went on, and there's some very ordinary spade work, day after day. Paul in the hall of Tyrannus here, and he's and he's training those who showed interest. He's coaching the coachable, the fat men, faithful, available, and teachable. Uh, that's who he's. That's who he's teaching here. So Ephesus becomes this this model here with some very clear principles here for how the church is to be. And so Paul spends a lot of time in Ephesus. He spends about three years there. Does he do that in other places? He hops around quite a bit. Ephesus, he spends three years because there's a strategic reason and there's something that Luke wants us to see here. In fact, Acts chapter 20 is a section here in the, the verses Lee read that's different from the rest of the book of Acts. In the rest of the book of Acts, you have Peter's sermons to the lost. You have Paul's sermon in the synagogue in Acts 13. You have Paul's sermon to the Gentiles, the idolaters, the pagans in Acts chapter seven, 17 and Mars Hill. This is the only passage we have of what Paul said to believers, and specifically leaders, leaders here at the church at Ephesus. So there's a reason for that. By the time the writing of the New Testament closed, Ephesus became the primary center for missions operations. Church tradition says that Mary, Jesus' mother, moved with John to Ephesus. Mary Magdalene went to Ephesus because it was became this this um, this this beachhead for the gospel here. Um, it, it, it was key. It was a strategic hub. Um, Paul sends his best partner Timothy to be there for a time, where where Timothy received First and Second Timothy as letters. He talks about Timothy to the Philippians. I have no one like him. No one who, who thinks who's as like-minded as uh, to me as, as Timothy is who will be genuinely concerned for your welfare. So there's special attention given to Ephesus because God gifted a man like Paul through his apostolic gifting here to see Paul's strategy, the work that the Holy Spirit had set him apart to do all the way in Acts chapter 13, reach its apex in a certain sense. And so Paul had preached the gospel, and he had interacted with the people he knew, uh, the commonalities in the synagogue at Ephesus for three months, Acts 19 tells us here. And it had argued uh, persuasively, and by arguing doesn't mean they were fighting necessarily, I'm sure there was some back and forth there, but he was showing the legitimacy of Jesus as the Messiah from the scriptures. And there came a time where those where a group of people at the synagogue became unresponsive and wanted nothing to do with that. And so um, Paul takes the disciples, those who receive the word respond, and he and he has uh, 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 discussions daily in this hall of Tyrannus here in Acts 18. 
And that training went on for two years so that Luke can say in Acts 19 and verse uh, 10, this continued by the space of two years, so that all they which dwelt in Asia heard the word of the Lord Jesus, both Jews and Greeks. Why does Paul include that? He wants to see, he wants us to see something. That what Paul was doing here was training leaders and sending them out. Something happened significantly that spread to the rest of Asia. And he wants us to see this effect here of establishing this hub in this region because he repeats this idea two more times. Look in Acts 19, verse 17. Acts 19, 17. And this was known to all the Jews and Greeks, what happened there with the, uh, the sons of Siva, also dwelling at Ephesus, and fear dwell in them all, and the name of the Lord Jesus was magnified. Then look at Acts 19.20. They burned their books. Here so mightily grew the word of God and prevailed. There was a conquering power, the kingdom of God conquering there through um, the Holy Spirit. Now, how do we know that this happened? Are there any other passages in Scripture that tells us what Luke's saying is true? That this happened. That strike teams Paul built were sent out of Ephesus in the surrounding mountainous regions to plant six other churches. And the answer is, go to Revelation 2, right? You don't have to turn there right now. But in Revelation 2 and 3, as John is, a, is, is addressing these churches through a letter that Jesus is writing to these churches here, G, uh, John addresses them in an order, a northward uh, ascending order. And what's the first one? Ephesus. And after that, it's Smyrna, then Pergamum, and then it starts to go south here in line of a crescent uh, shape here, and it hits Thyatira, Sardis, Philadelphia, and Laodicea. And if you would look on your map, if you had a map in the back of your Bible, another good reason to bring a paper Bible here at church, uh, you would roughly draw a letter N on the map here. There's a sequence here. And the order of those letters follow the ge geographic uh, direction you would travel around these finger-like mountains that separate the first three churches from the, the final four. And if you were going to deliver those seven church, those letters to the seven churches, you would start with Ephesus, you would go to Smyrna and carry the letters in that order that they're addressed in Revelation 2 and 3 here. But what does this tell us? That most probably the churches would have been planted out of Ephesus in this spiraling uh, 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 trajectory here. And so Paul sent other leaders that had received this method here, he sent them out to see these things multiply, to plant this network of seven churches of Asia here as the next step of, of a mission deployment. For example, one of the churches in that area is the Church of Colossae. Paul, we don't have any record of Paul going to Colossae, but Epaphras was with him in Ephesus. A Priscilla and Aquila end up in Rome. Probably repeating the same DNA, the same principles there. For so and Aquila owned homes that the churches met at in Rome and Corinth and Ephesus. They moved, they moved around here. They used their business as mission, used, used that as an opportunity. 
Um, they, had, they had a very important uh, function in each of them. Uh, so there's, 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 there's time here where Paul is working alongside in his own tent making, because he had that skill with, with Aquila and Priscilla here. He's funding expenses for other missionaries, people who needed money. He says in Acts 20, verse 34, these hands of mine have supplied my own needs and the needs of my companions, he says. In Acts 20, 34, he himself, as a missionary, is funding other missionaries through business. So he's supported financially. He's free to preach in Corinth and Ephesus. And in Ephesus, Paul becomes the guy who actually becomes the sender, rather than the sent. Now, why is this important? Why is this important? Well, because here in Acts chapter 20, you have the result of this strategy of ministry. And it's a strategy for ministry that's to be repeated. Because that's why Paul's writing to Timothy in 1 Timothy. And that's why in 2 Timothy, where, Paul, where Timothy is still at Ephesus, he's saying in 2 Timothy 2, 2, to do what? Someone read 2 Timothy 2, 2. No, my memory? All right, I'll put you on the spot, Ethan. Think that thou heard me among faithful men, fit to others... Who will be able to teach others also? Yeah, that's the concept there. He's saying there's four generations here. There's there's a link here. You're passing the baton here that you're supposed to build by shepherding team. Is the idea? Well, is that something Paul just talks about, or something that Paul did? Yeah. Acts twenty tells us he did it, and it was the normal function of Paul in churches to build shepherding teams. You can see this in Acts fourteen twenty one to twenty three. Um, you can see this in Acts 20, as we'll see pretty clearly. And you see this in Titus, where after the gospel had penetrated, now there needed to be shepherding teams that were appointed. And so he tells Titus, the order of first, appoint, uh, the order of first importance here in Titus 1.5 is to put together shepherding teams to shepherd these churches. Well, that's what we have in Acts 20. So this is a normal thing. This is an expectation here of what is to be true of the household of God, the administration of the church, shepherding teams. And so in Acts 20 and verse uh, 17, he wants to have one more talk here, face to face with the elders. These are teams, this is a team of pastors in Ephesus um, before he was going to go to Jerusalem. And so in Acts 17, from Miletus, he sent to Ephesus, and he called the elders of the church. And when they were come to him, he said to them. And so Luke's going to summarize what Paul's words were, because I can assure you there are a lot of other things Paul was saying to these elders here. He spent a lot of time with them. And it was a long journey that we even had along the way to talk with these guys here. And he says, first of all, you know. So what he's going to do, he's going to say, here's my example. Not because I'm bragging and boasting, but I'm going to testify of how God helps get this done. And so he's going to talk about the right perspective. And the right perspective is this, that it's hard work. That in 2 Timothy chapter 2, that very passage where he says, train other men who are able to be teach others also, he says, you're doing the work of a soldier and endure hardness. That there are going to be all kinds of pressures, and if you're going to do it for accolades, or you're going to crumble under criticism, you're not at the point where you should be in ministry, doing ministry. If you find yourself way less affected by praise, and way less affected by criticism, 
you're probably at a point where God's going to be able to use you. So endure hardness as a good soldier of Jesus Christ. He's saying, you don't ultimately work for people, you work for Jesus. You work for Jesus. He's who you ultimately answer to. And so that's the, that's the mentality here. And Paul says, um, uh, here's the manner, here's the way I've been with you at all times. Verse 19. Serving the Lord with all humility of mind and with many tears and temptations. The word there is trials, which befell me by the lying in wait of the Jews. So in Acts 20, 19, Paul gives us a window into something that Luke doesn't talk about on Acts 18. Or Acts chapter 19. Paul is under a lot of persecution by his own fellow men. Doesn't really talk about that in Luke 19. But it really affected Paul. He says, um, these trials that fell me. And then verse 20. What was the scope of his ministry? How I kept back nothing that was profitable to you. But have showed you and have taught you publicly and from house to house. He would meet in a synagogue and he would engage with larger crowds. And he would train them from house to house. Teaching them. And what was his... Well, how do you sum up his, his teaching here? Well, it's the same thing. It's the same thing that God calls us to in our salvation, as he also calls us to in our growth in Jesus. Turning toward God in faith and loyalty, loyalty in Jesus. And so he says in verse 21, testify both to the Jews and also to the Greeks. Jew and Gentile. He's an equal opportunity guy, right? Their repentance, turning toward God, and faith toward our Lord Jesus Christ. That's what he had, that's what he had taught them. That's, 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 that's what he had founded this, this church on here. And now he knows that he's not going to go and say, wow, this is really hard. I had some trials from the Jews in, um, in, in Ephesus. And you know what, guys? I just need a break. I'm going to go away. Now, he just takes sabbaticals. He winters at certain places. He, he rests biblically. Rest is a biblical thing here. Um, but he's gonna, he, he says in verse 22, Now behold, I go bound in the Spirit to Jerusalem, knowing the things that shall befall me there. He says, I'm just preparing my mind for what's going to happen. What's, what's going to go down to Jerusalem? I know it's not going to be nice. I know it's not going to be pretty. And how he's going to respond to that. Verse 24. None of these things move me, neither count I my life dear to myself, so that I might finish my course with joy and the ministry which I have received of the Lord Jesus to testify the gospel, the good news of the grace of God. So he's explaining who he is. Now why does he want these Ephesian pastors to understand and remember how he served among them? Why? Follow his example, do the same. Yeah. And that's what he tells Timothy. Pursue my example. Follow these. These things that you've seen in me. He wants them to know that he's he's the real deal here. He's not just speaking. He's, he's lived us out. God's been faithful. There is reward on the other side. But he wants to see this embedded in their lives as well. The cost to ministry. And so he says um, uh, in verse 25, And now... Behold, I know that you all, among whom I have gone preaching, proclaiming the kingdom of God, shall see my face no more. Wherefore, I take it a record this day that I am pure from the blood of all men. He has fulfilled his ministry. Is everybody in Ephesus saved? No. But has he laid the foundation? 
And what's a key part of that foundation? The Word of God, the building of the Gospel of Jesus Christ, and on the people's side, what is he laid? Who's there? Who's going to be able to continue this? This team of pastors, right? This team of pastors here. Now, why, why can he say uh, he laid it? Well, he's going to remind them here of their tasks. Their tasks. Verse 27. He has not shunned, he has not hesitated, declared to them all the counsel of God. Why can you see that, say that? Because he preached in the kingdom of God. That's the expanse of the Bible. Alright, doesn't mean he went through every verse of Genesis, he went through every verse of Exodus, all the way through what was written in his day. But he hits the scope of Scripture here. Now he's going to say in verse 28, here's your instructions. And they're very simple, they're this. Watch yourselves. Watch the sheep. Watch the wolves. Three things. So, take heed therefore to yourselves. Why would they need to pay attention to their own hearts and lives? Yeah, be who God wants them to be. Why was that important? For them to be who God wanted them to be. What's it going to affect? Yeah, it's going to affect the, the, the ministry, right? It's going to affect the, their, their, their testimony, the loss, their testimony, the people they're, they're laboring with. So take heed therefore to the, yourselves, and what? To all the flock over which the Holy Ghost has made you overseers, to feed the church of God, which he has purchased with his own blood. So that was to be a focus of their ministry here. Watch themselves, to watch the flock here. Why? Because of how precious it is, how important God puts a priority on it. And then he says this in verse 29. For I know this, that after my departing shall grievous or savage wolves enter in among you, not sparing the flock. Also of your own selves. Who's he talking to? The team of pastors. Do you think Paul had a good selection process and who we put in place? Yep. But he knows that after my departing shall grievous wolves enter in among you not spring the flock, also of your own selves shall men arise, speaking perverse or distorted things to draw away disciples after them. What's their goal? These bad guys, what do they want to do? Do they want to point to King Jesus? Who do they want? Disciples. They want to have their own followings, right? They want to put the spotlight on, on themselves here. They want to build a platform, right? Um, they're they're going to be uh, um, uh, all over the internet building their platform, funneling traffic their way, right? And so he says, therefore, watch and remember that by the space of three years, I cease not to warn everyone night and day with tears. And now, brethren, so how is he able to have this concern and warn them about this concern and then still go on? How is he able to do this? He's, he's linked to the Lord with prayer. He's ministering in prayer. What else? He gives them over to God. He gives them over to God. So he trusts the Holy Spirit to do what God says he's going to do. A lesson we all can learn, right? That there's times where we got to just trust the Holy Spirit. And that's actually all the time. <laughs> yeah. And what else? I commend you, verse 32, to God and to what? 
Word. The Word of His grace, which is able to build you up and to give you an inheritance among all them which are sanctified. So that's what he's going to trust the Word to do. That doesn't mean he's going to step back and not have any kind of interaction with his church, which is why we have Timothy there. He sends key leaders. That's why we have um, the letters written to Timothy here to help this process keep going. But he himself is going to back away with his own presence there. He's going to trust the Lord. In verse 33, then he goes back to reminding them of his own motives and another motive that needs to be important with them. I have coveted no man's silver or gold or apparel. Yea, yourselves know that these hands have ministered to my necessities and to them that were with me. I talked about that, how Paul isn't just a, isn't just a sent one, he's a sender as well. I have showed you all things, how that so laboring you ought to support the weak and to remember the words of the Lord Jesus, how he said it's more blessed to give than to receive. Does anybody know what scripture he's quoting there from Jesus in the Gospels? More blessed to give than to receive. How many have anybody have that in, in red? Romans 15. No, those are some similar concepts, but as far as the words of Jesus, we don't have those words recorded anywhere. And it's like John said, there's places that if we had to say everything Jesus did, we all the books in the world. And, but it was obviously an understood um, teaching of the Lord Jesus, something he said. It just isn't recorded in Scripture. And so Paul says, one of the things that's key here, and this is going to help you probably in your humility as you as you shepherd here, is to remember the poor and to serve the poor. We probably don't see it with our American eyes so much because it's not as much of a need in our eyes. But Paul spends a lot of time talking about the poor. In fact, in Galatians, he has to correct the Galatian heresy that it's by um, uh, these particular things that you are in God's favor. And he had to stand up to Peter himself and face to face confront him. And Peter changed, repented, and, and, and Paul says, and I also told him to remember the poor. <laughs> in fact, he postpones some of his own church planting missionary work to make sure money gets to the suffering church. And Jerusalem. Months. He postpones. He writes whole letters about this thing. And portions of his letters in First and Second Corinthians. It's very important to him. Very important. And that's his example. And what's the result? Verse 36. When he had thus spoken, he kneeled down and prayed with them all. And they all wept sore and fell on Paul's neck and kissed him. Sorrowing most of all for the words which he spoke. They should see his face no more. And they accompanied him. To the ship. So over the years that he spent here, there in Ephesus, and then on his way to Jerusalem, what happens? The Jews stir things up, he gets sent, locked in prison, and he has to write a letter, one of those letters in prison to who? The Ephesians. And reminds them of the glory of the church, right? And he writes another letter to Colossians, probably planted from Ephesus. And he writes Philippians. And he writes Philemon, meets a guy in prison, Philemon. And it seems that somehow he got out of prison, 
because he was being held on trial. But later on, he's arrested again there in 2 Timothy. He's on death row. He writes that last letter of all his letters to Timothy to this church in Ephesus. When Paul was training there in Ephesus, he didn't build a Bible college. Nothing wrong with Bible colleges. I think there could be some overbalance, things out of balance sometimes with Bible knowledge. He didn't start a seminary. He trained people in the field, didn't he? He provided field training. He sent them out from Ephesus as Jesus had sent the 72 and they got their hands dirty. Because you can only fight the way you practice. And so why not just, if you're going to train people for ministry, why not train people in ministry? For the work of the ministry. And so that's what Ephesus becomes. A training hub. And it becomes this dojo, so to speak, for these, uh, these, these warriors of Jesus to spread the gospel. And it also becomes a dojo for those who would stay behind and shepherd the flock. So why is this so important? Why is this passage so important? I think it gives us some principles here that we can see. What are some of the principles that you notice in the passage here? In Acts chapter 20. Okay, there's a faithfulness to the word. You see the word in a lot of this, right? I didn't shun the third whole counsel of God, I get that nothing that was profitable to you. I preached the whole counsel of God. I taught you publicly and I taught you from house to house. There, the word of God is central to this. I commend you to the word of God, the word of grace, which is able to build you up. That's important. What else? Prayer. Okay, prayer. He's warning, he's trusting the Lord, he's praying the Lord, he's not doing it in his own power, serving the Lord with all humility, tears and prayer. Dependence on the Holy Spirit. Dependence on the Holy Spirit. Okay. What about the strategies? What are the strategies that he used that you see repeated in Scripture? And the methods. Preach the kingdom of God. Okay. He's calling. Uh, he's, 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 he's not uh, just going on his, on his, on his pet passages here. There's a, whole, there's a wholeness here to his teaching. He doesn't do it all himself. He doesn't do it all himself. In fact, things that other people can do, he'd rather have them do. You know? I like him. Okay, he's watching out for the wolves and warning them. By the way, you want to see some of the stuff that infiltrated the church? Look in 1 Timothy 1. This is the stuff that he warned them would come in. You know what it is? People going off on tangents. The main things are the plain things, and the plain things are the main things, one guy says. And there's a lot of truth to that there. Um, there uh, and, and 1 Timothy 1 4, don't give heed to fables and endless genealogies. Which minister questions rather than godly edifying, which is in faith, so do The end of the commandment is love out of a pure heart and of a good conscience and of faith unfeigned, for real. That's what he wants to see produced here. In fact, he'll tell the, the uh, Timothy to remind um, those who minister um, in 1 Timothy 4, verse 6, If you put the bread in remembrance of these things, you shall be a good minister of Jesus Christ. Nourished up in the words of faith and of good doctrine, wherein you have attained, but refuse profane and old wise fables, and exercise yourself rather to godliness. 
Um, there are distorted teachings of the law in verse in First Timothy one seven. These are all the things that Paul says are going to come in. They're going to come in. Keep an eye out for it. That's what happened in Ephesus. Sir. Any other principles you see? He was visible. He was visible. Yeah, he, he worked right alongside with them, right? Here, and he's able to do that because he worked in a, a, a regular job as well. Like, he didn't spend 24 hours a day or 16 or eight hours a day sitting in a study by himself, did he? He was working, and he showed probably showed some of the skills here so these other guys could support themselves and have um, not be tied down and depending on support from other places. Anything else? Yeah, push forward in spite of the difficulties that were that were in front of him. Here. And who did he focus on? Faithful, available, teachable leaders, right? And he trusted them to be shepherds. Right? There's some shifts we need to take as a church to be in line with the Word of God in the New Testament. Because these things are lacking in my own life. And therefore, they're lacking in our congregation in a lot of ways. Starting with myself. And Paul's ministry methods here are not just, oh, no, that was just the way Paul did it. Minds are different now. I've heard that. This is the Word of God. And I think there's principles here that are repeated over and over here. Ring our bells and say, hey, what's going to last long term for God's work, for the health of the church? Peter? The word that we use today is the word transparency. He was, he was very open up yeah. in his life. And, Authentic. And uh, everything. He was not alternative order with like this. So he was very open. Yeah, yeah. And, and he, um, especially with these guys who he shared life with, right? He was trust. He was trusting them here to um, to see uh, to see things continue um, after after he left. And so three years here, he spends. It's the longest he spends anywhere besides prison. <laughs> um, three years, and even in prison, what is he doing? Well, I can't be there, but I can do this. Or hey, Timothy, thanks for visiting me and bringing me a sandwich and a coat. Hey, I want you to go and do this. Check this out, right? So there was a there was this this team and and just 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 kind of an understatement here, but it was genius. It's genius. The result of that is what we're experiencing today. I think we need to get back here. I know we need to get back to Paul's methods, Paul's missionary methods here, and to see us as see what God will do here as a hub church. Imagine having a church for every one thousand people in me. There's lots of churches, but there's not a lot going on, right? You have even churches that preach the Word of God and gospel-preaching churches, but not a whole lot of interaction with people in the community. I mean, if all we do is you came here so you could hear something and say, okay, wow, that was good. God stirred my heart and don't do anything about it. Go play 27 holes of golf, right, Josh? (laughs) Might as well do that. But this is real stuff. And Paul says this is able to build up an inheritance for the saints that are sanctified. There's a reward for this. Life's short. Life's short. We all got to find our connection to this and put this 
mission here. This whole mission here. It's, it's, it's sharing the gospel of the lost, but it's also meeting them where they're at, right? It's building relationships. Sharing the gospel. Discipling them. Connecting them to other people. Um, uh, uh, taking in the word. This is one of the ways you take in the word. It's not the only way. In some ways, it's kind of one of the most ineffective ways. Because you learn better face-to-face and interacting and engaging here. Um, so you need this, but you also need the ground work, not just an air war. Um, there's, a, there's, there's, there's a community that's serious about getting together and praying together, whether that's at you know 6 or 7 p.m. on Wednesdays, or you put something together at your house and say, hey, we want to pray about what God's going to do in your mission. You have permission for me to do that. Not everybody in here will like that, necessarily, but I want to see people praying together and see people in the Word together, whether that's in one location or another location. Keep me clued in with it here and other and other leaders here so we can come on here and, and encourage that and shepherd that here. Um, but, but don't feel like you need to have a, a Bible college degree to do these things. God wants us to take responsibility and initiative as His people. And there's amazing things that happen uh, through this when we take little steps of obedience here. I just want to encourage you uh, with that. And then some of you, God's really put a uh, put within you a heart for shepherd people. Some of you guys, God's tapping on your hearts and saying, you know what? Um, I don't have it all figured out. And I, I, I would want to do this for the accolades. Because honestly, you'll, you'll get burned out pretty quick. Because ministry is messy and it's hard. And the week is full of emotional up and downs. And you can't base your life on those emotions here. And if, you get, and if you get really offended easy by criticism, probably you need to be shepherded and grown to get to a point where you can hand that over to the Lord. But some of you I know God's tapping on you. And the congregation here I think probably notices those guys too. And um, and uh, we need a shepherding team here. I'll be quite honest. One of the things we need. But I think we also need people who are... who. Um, have a vision for beyond our vocation and look for other opportunities. There's tons of churches in this area that are really struggling. There's a Baptist church um, in Jefferson that's just barely struggling along. Can't be mentioned to me. There's a there's a church in Alabama that needs help. Um, there's lots of places like this, and I don't know how much some of them want to. Um, just want to survive, or some of them want to want to really flourish here. But there's 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 things that I can do in our area, big time, and do it through people. And so we, while we while we certainly love all the gifts that we have here, perhaps God's calling some people to go and help another church. And I don't want to stand in the way of that. I don't want to stand in the way and be selfish and say, well, what are we going to do? We don't have those people now. We really needed them here. No, God's bigger. And so I know this wasn't a sermon necessarily, but this is the setting here for what God wanted to do with Timothy to see Ephesus be. And you can see the seeds of it. And may God help us as we pursue these principles for ourselves as well. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, we thank you for your word and thank you for how you are you are so faithful and you uh, are a God who has 
has uh, has given his life. The scriptures here say your blood for the church. Lord, you want to see your family expanded and built. And uh, we have lots of 